listening to the Get Peeled podcast, a space for life enthusiasts to get inspired, learn through others about fitness, business, relationships, and life itself. I'm your host, Tana Eden, a fitness entrepreneur that has an obsession with sweating and a burning desire to share and inspire others with the lessons that I have learned through fitness. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Get Pilled Podcast. My name is Hannah Eden. And I'm Paulo Barreto. Today, we're here in Montana still. Yes, we are. We are in Kalispell, and today we have a very, very interesting and intriguing guest. <laughs> so we're here with Dan, a.k.a. the Rasta Runner, um, and this guy is a very interesting individual, and I'm very excited to sit down today. As always, we're going to touch on our subjects of personal business relationships, but this is a pretty cool podcast because I know a little bit about Dan. From the outside in, if I was to describe you, if no one is watching and they're only listening, what, you're six foot two? Six foot, yeah. Six foot, okay, six foot, has incredible hair, dreads that literally go down beyond his waist, (laughs) Uh, really, really cool colored skin with freckles on his arms, his face, a nice little bit of... Uh, beard around the chin, he's got cool beads on his wrist, he's got tattoos on his hands, like he's just a really cool and interesting individual. Thank you. Yeah, man. And, you know, I'm going to give a quick intro to you for what I got from uh, Rob, right? So Rob Bailey introduced us and we met for the first time at five o'clock in the morning, uh, (laughs) right before we decided to summit Oberlin again here in Glacier National National Park. And uh, Rob saw us connecting and he ran by the side of us and says, okay, let me tell you about Dan. And then he ran away. And this is what he gave me. He's like, okay, well, Dan is... uh, a little bit Mexican. He rides bulls. He's an ultra runner. Uh, he is an absolute, what did he call him? A glacial a national glacier, park glacier historian. National park historian. Yeah. And then that was kind of it and ran away. I was like, wait, what? I need to know more <laughs> about this guy. So that's my idea of introducing you. And now I want to give you the floor to kind of just tell me more about you as an individual, not what you do for business, not what you can find on Instagram, but yeah. who is Dan? So... Dan is, uh, is like this ever evolving and curious person. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I I grew up on the central coast of California and Mm -hmm. I was raised primarily by my mom and my mom did uh, an amazing job as a parent, but my mom also like kind of like gave me this free spirit and curiosity because she also had that. And I saw it modeled from a young age and, and she really like gave me creative freedom to kind of do whatever that caught my interest. And so from a young age, I had that curiosity. And so I remember jumping from thing to thing, trying to like figure out like what it is that I was into. And uh, I've always credited her that part of, of, of who I am. And I feel like even now at 35, like I've kind of carried that same boyish curiosity throughout my life. And that's why that's why you see the bull riding and the running and the ninja and the all like all of these different things, because um you know, I think at my core, it's always just kind of been like, well, what else am I capable of here? Like what else catches my attention? And I've always tried to just not like try to fit into a box and go one way because I know that there are so many things out there and I want to try all the things and, uh, you know, just have like this really unique, well-rounded set of skills. Now that's a really cool place to be at 35, right? Yeah. I remember having little snippets of conversation with you when we were out on, on the mountain. Yeah. And uh, was it always that way for you? Was it always, were you always comfortable in your skin to be different, to look different, to do things that are different? Or was that kind of 
not the norm and that gave you some shit when you were younger? It, I, I think it was both. I think to me it felt normal because it was like one of those things that I had just always done. Um, but like from the outside looking in, I, I did get a lot of flack for it. You know, I, I was bullied at a young age. I was kind of teased and picked on a lot, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I grew up in a predominantly mixed neighborhood of, of Latinos and blacks and some whites. But because I was, you know, lighter skin, like I, I tend to get a little bit more of the focus drawn to me for being this like skinny, undersized, freckle faced kid. So I feel like I kind of like always had that target on me to begin with. Um, but again, like it just, it just felt normal to want to do all these different random things. And so I just carried on regardless of it. What I didn't realize until I was kind of in my twenties was that like, I had a lot of things that had, that had built up over the years in terms of like identity and maybe even like a little bit of trauma around it all that I didn't realize was even there, but I just kept like working and, and finding all these different avenues regardless of it. So twenties came and then it kind of like opened me up to understanding like who I was at a deeper level and some of those things that I had been carrying since I was younger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I did some creeping and I didn't know this until last night when I totally was going down a rabbit hole on everything that you do. But um, I had no idea that you're a horse trainer and that's oh, kind of yeah. how you got to Whitefish. And yeah. I think that before we get into that story, I have this idea in my head that anyone that has worked in hospitality yeah. or worked on a farm, are the people that I want in my corner because... Yeah. They understand people and they understand hard work and, and work ethic and yeah. rain or shine, the job's got to be fucking done. Right. 100%. And there's a lot of people that don't get that, you know, and they've never really been exposed to that rugged lifestyle. Yeah. So but as soon as it gets tough or dirty, it's time to go home. Right. And it's like, people don't want to get in. Yeah. Um, and I think ultra running and being able to have that mindset or mountaineering comes with a very specific skill set and as yeah. well as like a, a mindset as well of like just getting down and dirty and yeah. doing whatever it takes to make it. Uh, was this something that you were raised in? Like, tell me more about like the, the horses, the farm world, and kind of how you think that shaped you into like, one of your programs. I mean, you sell a ebook that is equine strength, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. this is yeah. fascinating. I need <laughs> so to know random, about this. Huh? It is, but it's such a cool thing. Like, I've yeah. never looked into that. I've never met anyone that's a trainer that focuses on that. And I think there's a gigantic market yeah. for it if you're in the right space. So my my dad, uh, my dad is from Mexico. And my dad was raised in that like equine horsemanship, cowboy way of life. And ever since I have remembered my dad, he's worn four things. Wrangler jeans, <laughs> button-up shirts, cowboy boots, and a cowboy hat. I love he's that. always too. had, like, I, I've never seen him really wear anything else. In fact, I take that back because one, one time, it was actually just a couple summers ago, I saw him in a pair of uh, in a pair of like white and blue Nikes, and I was just thinking to myself, like, "Whoa, I didn't know you had Nikes. Like, <laughs> I didn't even know you knew what Nikes were." Yeah. And to be honest, this morning he called me. He's like, "Hey, Miho. Miho means my son in Spanish. Yeah. Miho, what are you what are you doing today? Oh, I'm gonna go record a podcast with some friends." He's like, "What's a podcast?" I love that. <laughs> so I love he, that. So he's very like traditional, old school country. He's back in California. He's actually here now. Oh, no oh cool. Yeah, he's here now. Okay. Uh, he lives on a ranch out maybe 20 minutes from here. But but anyhow, he's very traditional, very old school. But he's always been a cowboy, and he's always had horses. Okay. And so from the time I was young, he's had he's had horses. I've been around that lifestyle. 
And I've always just kind of been intrigued by watching him get on and train horses. And, you know, he also was in the rodeo for a lot of years as well. Cool. So my dad was a saddle bronc and a bareback rider. And for Very those cool. that don't know, those are, those are the wild events of the rodeo. Yeah. Like a lot of people think bull riding is wild and tough. Then it can be, but it's it's the bucking horses that are the ones that bunk. What do you think that makes that? Is it the size of the horse versus a bull that makes that harder? Is the buck different to a bull? Like just so people understand. Well, I think it's I think what makes the horse events different than the bull riding. It's it's really two things for me. Number one is that horses are way more unpredictable than a bull is. A bull is honest. A bull is going to buck. It's going to try to come after you. And, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Horses, on the other hand, a lot of times are acting out of fear mm-hmm. and just, just straight up scared. Yeah. And so horses tend to flip over a lot more. They tend to just be a lot more erratic than right. a bull does. But the other thing with the horse events is that they're just so much tougher, um, jerkier, um, and the movement itself and the actual ride, it's harder to get into a rhythm okay. when you're riding the animal. Yeah, so this last tougher. weekend we saw one dude, <clears throat> oh my goodness, almost, oh man, this dude, the horse, instead of starting to buck, yeah, he started bucking, but running straight forward yeah. onto the fence. Yeah, they go I'm right like, out yeah, We're like, is he going to go through it? it? I'm like, dude, the dude is going to go over the fence. Oh yeah. And oh, sure yeah. enough, the guy falls, and I'm not joking, <laughs> if you guys are, man, his hair, Touched the, the fence. fence. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not his head. The hair went on yeah. the fence. And I'm like, we were oh, like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You would have split him open. That's oh, what I mean. Dude. Horses, look, I mean, they're just unpredictable. They'll run right at a fence. They'll run and jump over the fence. Yeah. And you just, you don't know what you're getting into. So intriguing. Okay. And yeah. that is true. This is our first, well, second rodeo, right? Since we've been here ever. And it's yeah. like, uh, wow, this I is amazing. Yeah, do this often. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. So from a young age, seeing my dad train horses, knowing that my dad had a history in the rodeo, like I was automatically drawn to Mm -hmm. that. Um, I got pictures on my phone right now that I just got of my dad when he was younger training horses. And it's so funny because what he was wearing then is the same (laughs) thing that he's wearing now. So so I think I just kind of gravitated towards that lifestyle from a young age. So I'm a very uh, visual guy when it comes to storytelling. Um, That's why I love music and rapping like you were rapping uh, before the podcast. And I'm obsessed with that. And I just, you know, takes me back to that scene and I try to put it together. Yeah. So California. Yeah. Were your dad training horses in California while you were while you were a kid already, or that was back in Mexico? How is it? When did you? So, so my dad started training horses at a young age. So, like oh. I'm saying, he came to he came to America at seven, mm-hmm. worked in the fields, mm-hmm. and then kind of get, got into horse training a little bit later in his life. Um, and that is California. That's in California. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I started getting into horse training when I was a teenager, when I was about 13, 14 is kind of mm-hmm. when I started actually training and working with horses. Cool. Um, but, uh, but by the time I was that age, he was just riding them. He wasn't doing a lot of formal training. Right. He just had horses. And was there a normal avenue for kids on your commu- like in your community? Because you said that you were in a very mixed racial community, yeah. And uh, at points you got picked on for sure. Was it like, was it? Were you the oddball doing cowboy stuff? Of and course. everyone was like, I love that. that. Or okay. everyone around was like, <laughs> Yeah, that's what we're into. Well, I think what a lot of people may not know about the central coast of California. I think a lot of people think coast in California. They think of beach and surf. Yeah. Where I'm from in California is a lot of rural farmland. 
you know, it's wine country out there. Cool. It's horse country out there. And uh, so I kind of grew up in an agricultural area of California. And so mm-hmm. for a lot of people, training horses and, you know, like that country lifestyle was just very normal. Sweet. Yeah. Now the horse world, does yeah. that blend into the bull riding world? And when you took bull riding pretty seriously? So I was already working with horses before I started riding bulls. Okay. And um, they, they went hand in hand but what I found was like, it was just, it was such a different set of skills, but, but the transition from being into horses and then getting into bull riding just seemed really easy. Yeah. And, and I was, I was uh, 14 when I started getting into bull riding more and more and trying to like fight, figure out how I could do it. And like, I had this like really cool pivotal moment where it's like, okay, I'm going to do this now. This sounds like That's fun. That's so cool, man. So you, t- you did it competitively. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, what was your event? Uh, so primarily I rode bulls. Um, that was like the, the immediate draw for me. I remember being at a state fair in Paso Robles, California when I was Paso 14. Robles. Yeah. What's that? Paso Robles. Paso right? Robles. Yeah. 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 So mid state fair. It's a big, huge fair. there. super, super popular, but I rode the mechanical bull like most young guys yeah. do and really just like felt like I had this, uh, I don't know, like this raw talent. Like I, I wasn't very good at it, but I knew that it was, it was kind of easy for me to figure out where my body needed to be mm-hmm. in order to, to make the ride. So I got off and I remember thinking like, I think I could do this. So I started like thinking, how can I, how can I start getting into this sport? Well, this was also like early days of the internet. Mm-hmm. So I remember going to, to our home computer, this cheesy old, like green screen Macintosh yeah. <laughs> uh, with like the mouse that still had the cord yes. that did the plug in the computer. But I remember like typing in, uh, you know, bull riding or something in my area. And what I found was that there was this man who had a, a ranch in a, an arena in bulls that was 15 minutes away from my house. Uh. So I get this man's number. I call him up. And I'm like, hey, I, I'm like this, I, in my head, I'm like, I'm just this young kid calling this full grown adult asking if I can come to his house. <laughs> but anyhow, I'm like, hey, I, I really want to learn how to ride bulls. Uh, is there something that we can work out? Something to that effect. And this old guy's like, well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, I've got some fence to fix. I thought that. I love I got, that. I got a lot of work to I do. I got here, a lot so. of work to do. But if you want to come out and you want to work and, uh, you know, maybe we could, we could work something out. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm like, mom, here's the situation. Can you take me to this guy's house? Now imagine a 14 year old kid <laughs> saying, Hey, this old man wants me to come out and work at his house. You know what I mean? And as yeah. a mom, I remember she was a little hesitant at first, but she took me out there. I love that. Now, long story short, I end up working my butt off all day long for this guy, fixing his fence to keep his cattle in. And, uh, and, and at the end of that afternoon, we start the entire process of learning how to ride bulls. Now, what I didn't realize was who this man was. Oh. This wasn't just like any old man with property mm-hmm. and bulls, but this was Gary Lefew. And if you don't know who Gary Lefew is, he's a PRCA world champion bull rider. Wow. Who Whoa. just happened to live 15 That's minutes away from crazy. me. crazy. That just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> oh my goodness. Isn't that wow. Amazing? I mean, what he did as well is like, kid, you're not just going to come over here and get on a bull. You got to earn that exactly. shit. Exactly. Like that is a mindset right there. And I love that. Exactly. Like that just That's gave me cool, goosebumps. Man. What a crazy, PRCA cool thing. is the league in California. 
PRCA is the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. So that consider is badass. It, okay. Consider it like the NFL of yeah. Cowboys. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was really That's cool. So and cool. I had no idea until I Even got better. there. Even better. Even better. And so it's amazing. So Gary Lefeu is uh, you know, he's 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 a he's an actor. He does all of like the all of like the stunt double and training for all of like the bull rider films that have ever come out. Eight seconds yeah. with Luke Perry. He was Luke Perry's instructor in wow. that film. It was actually filmed at his ranch. Cool. They, Is he still around today? Oh yeah, he's still alive. That's, oh, that's incredible. So cool. Yeah, I mean he's still alive. He still does all of his his bull riding camps around the country. Amazing. Um, you guys keep in touch? We don't keep in touch much. Dang, anymore. you should. What, what yeah, a cool should. thing to do to go One back day. to that world. I should. Say, do you remember me? <laughs> do you remember I was that? Hey, you remember? Crazy stuff. <laughs> Is the fence still good? Is it right. still holding up? Yeah. <laughs> to do a good job. Exactly. <laughs> so did he take you under his wing and and that's exactly show you the ropes? Oh man, that's he so took cool. Took me under his wing. Um, I ended up moving out to his his ranch out there, which is in Pomo, California. But um, at what age? Uh, Fifteen. I was Dang. 15 when I, when I first started like really going out there and living there. I was 14 when I actually went out there for the first time. Yeah. So I worked all day at his house that first day. And I thought, all right, cool. I'm going to get on a bull this afternoon. So when we got done with the fence, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And he's just like, <laughs> nope. no, you're not. <laughs> so I didn't actually get on a bull that day. But what I did do is we went up into like the training gym area of the house and he was just starting to show me the mechanics where your body needs to be your chest your shoulders your free arm how to squeeze with your legs body position wow and then we started watching film and what was so interesting to me is where he took me was kind of like the trophy room photo room and I was just blown away by all these old black and white photos mm-hmm. of him riding bulls in the 60s, in the 70s. What? That's a most life-changing opportunity, a, life-changing. a moment for a kid, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you, you talk about like impeccable timing and, and just extraordinary situation of yeah. right place, right time. I don't know how I did it, but I found it. That's amazing. It is. <laughs> and you would think, right, because at that like, very beginning of the internet, if you Google something and someone pops up, yeah. you wouldn't think then. Yeah. But if you look back, you're like, that makes sense. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be a random dude. Oh, right. let me go on this internet thing right. and put my name there. Right. Had to be a big guy. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's really And neat. I always have this conversation behind closed doors or on a podcast with people that I look at as like a higher achiever, right? Like anyone that can want to sign up to do anything over 10 miles is a sick fuck in the best way, right? (laughs) I mean that with the most respect. But I'm always like curious to see like, did something happen to you in your life that caused trauma that you're running from pain or did someone, was there an influential person in your life that, I don't know if you can say idol or a mentor, but someone that was in your life that maybe planted a seed or told you that they saw something in you or like spark this fire to try and do more, to try and, you know, push the limits and total human optimization, right? Like what can we do as human beings? Do you think that this man had a big part to do with that? Clearly a mom is a big piece of that as well. But do you think that he had anything to do with your, your itch to just keep going? So what's interesting about Gary Lefeu is that yeah, he's a world champion bull rider. He's done a lot of really cool things. But what made him so successful was his his big influence on personal development. Oh wow! Um, cool. And and I think that in in the sport of rodeo, like early on, that really wasn't a thing. It was mm-hmm. really just a bunch of hard knock cowboys getting out and and getting on bulls yeah. and going. But what Gary, what was different about him was he like he was always saying like, no, it's about the way you think. Mm-hmm. 
And from, from the time I was 14, 15 years old, I was reading books on personal development. I was learning about who Zig Ziglar was. Mm -hmm. I was learning about who Maxwell Maltz is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember the first book that I read on personal development. I was 15, and it was a book called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. Wow. And what he was talking about in the book is how to prime your thoughts and your mind for success. So Gary was really big on that. The physical side was there, but he was really big on teaching me about my mindset. And so from a young age, like that was like really my introduction to personal development and mm -hmm. using my thoughts to prime my, myself for success. And so I understood the importance of mentorship at a young age and like having a coach or a mentor or somebody to kind of lean on, mm -hmm. um, as I, as I was going through these different events and things I was doing. So yeah, he definitely was wow. like the, the start of that for me. That's amazing. At such a young age too. Yeah, That's yeah. so cool. Oh yeah. yeah. I had no idea what personal development right. was until I was like hitting rock bottom and then it's like, fuck, now I've got to figure that's this shit out. Right, it, right, right. But that's awesome. That yeah. really, really is. Now I want to put a pin in here because we haven't talked about it and I did a little bit of research and full disclosure, total ignorance on this side, right? Rastafari. Yeah. Help me yeah. understand this. Is it a religion? Is it a lifestyle? Is it a fashion like what is it tell me everything about it from especially from my point of view or anyone that's listening that has yeah. no idea about it okay so Rastaf and when it started okay. yeah yeah for yeah. sure so so rastafari is um depending on who you ask you're going to get a different answer because there are so many different sects of rastafari so what's going back to the beginning rastafari is what you could probably consider the the youngest organized religion or lifestyle to date you know it okay. started in the 40s and it was really like a like a, a, a revolutionist type of movement at the time because originating really in Jamaica, um, there was a lot of colonialism that was going on from the British. They owned Jamaica and some of the surrounding Caribbean islands at the time. And um, locals on those islands were really looking to have something that they could call their own. And there was a couple of really key figures at that time. One of them, his name was Marcus Garvey. And Marcus Garvey was a Jamaican nationalist who is really about like liberating people. And, you know, if you think about like what Martin Luther King has done, Dr. Martin Luther King has done here in the United States, um, Marcus Garvey was pre Dr. King. And a lot of people would say that like he was the original freedom fighter activist. He was the kind of like followed in, uh, in those footsteps. And so Marcus Garvey was trying to uplift his people in Jamaica. And Marcus Garvey was one of like those early figures who got that movement off the ground. Now in Jamaica, what was happening was as people were starting to listen to Marcus Garvey, they were starting to want to stand up for themselves a little bit more. What they found was that there was a lot more people who thought like Marcus Garvey. And so they started to form a religion, a lifestyle around Rastafari. Now Rastafari is actually a person. And Marcus oh. Garvey was the one who kind of like brought that person into the lives of Jamaicans. Rastafari is a man from Ethiopia. He was the emperor of Ethiopia at the turn of the 19th century. Emperor Ayla Selassie. Okay. And Ayla Selassie, the emperor of Ethiopia, his, his name was Raz. First name was Raz, meaning head of. And then Tafari. And that was his name, Raz Tafari. And so the movement, the religion, the lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, was based off of this man. Marcus Garvey was the one that said, look to the east for the crowning of a black king. 
he will be the Messiah. He will be the Savior. And at that time, again, Jamaicans were really looking for something to call their own. So they took those words from Marcus Garvey. And when they looked to the east and found the black king, who was that? That was Emperor Selassie. And so now locals in the Caribbean and Jamaica now have a man that they can see as the Messiah, the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like the, the introduction of Rastafari and the religion in Jamaica in the 1940s. Wow, that's ah. fascinating. I had no yeah. idea. So that's, that's really where it all started. Um, and and then, for you? And for me, where it all started was, honestly, like I, I've, been, I've been listening to reggae music since I was in high school. Since I was riding bulls, to be honest, I was yeah, listening to reggae because awesome. it, it always just caught my attention, you know. Um, but I came around to Rastafari in in the beginning of like 2013, I think is like really when it started to take hold, where I was really interested in knowing more and more about it. And I think that um, I think I've really like always had a, a part of Rastafari in me, like that way of thinking. Um, but it really didn't like manifest itself until I started really diving in mm-hmm. and not really just listening to the music for the beat, but really listening to what was in between the lines, the message, yeah, the idea of self-discipline and upliftment and, and positivity, all of those things that I had learned at a younger age, but now realizing that there are way more people out there that think the same way that I do. And so I started coming around to it in 2013, learning more and more, um, visiting Jamaica as a tourist but then coming back a little bit later and visiting it as trying to find more people like, like me out there. I love that. It's yeah. like a sense of <clears throat> belonging or and I think you know, that, a community. And I think that that's what I really needed because you were talking about rock bottom a little bit earlier. In, in 2013, I came to that rock bottom and I was really searching for something. And, and when I was out there and looking, what I found was these people in Jamaica who kind of like just brought me in and we're like, hey, you're, you know, you're one of us. You know, you're, you're a brother to us. That's and amazing. Like, that's what I found in reggae music, you know, was like that, that, that thing that I was really just looking for because I did feel lost. I did feel alone and isolated as I was kind of going through all of my stuff. And I think I even said it to you, like running was one of those things that kind of like saved me in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, but here's the thing, like when I started bringing reggae music into running that took my my idea of what was possible for me to another level because I started infusing the mountain running with the reggae music and like it put me in this really heightened spiritual place yeah where it just like made me want to be better it made me want to change and that kind of like is what got me up out of the hole out of my whole rock bottom thing and since then like it's been just like such a, a centerpiece in my life, not just like the religion side of it, but just the, the lifestyle that comes mm-hmm. along with it, you know, because again, depending who you ask, Rastafari can be a religion, but it can also just be the way that you treat people, the way yeah. that you treat yourself, the way that you live your life. If you were to give us key values of what a Rastafari would align with or what these people that you had met yeah. and you guys had this in common, what would they be? I think that brotherhood is, is gotta be like one of the foundational pieces, you know, like you said it earlier, I'm light skinned with freckles. When I go to Jamaica and I'm with my community up in Kingston, nobody else has freckles. Right. Everybody's dark skin. You know, they don't look like me. They don't speak like me. But the first time that I ever went up there and met with them, 
the, one of the first thing they said to me is like, you're one of us. I love that. They and didn't so, see anything else. They didn't see anything else. And there has never been any kind of uh, discrimination. There's never been any like side eye. Mm-hmm. It's always just been, you're, you're one of us. So I think that that's one of them. Um, another one is, is that, you know, I believe that Africa is the birthplace. I think that we have all come from Africa mm-hmm. at some point. If you go back far <clears throat> enough, that's, that's where things started. And I think that that's a, that's a belief that the majority of Rastafari share. So if you look at brotherhood, if you look at Africa being the birthplace, the other one is um, really just having a sense of community and, and living in a way that is sustainable over the long term. I think all Rasta can agree with that. And that's what's so important to me nowadays, living where I do, outside of the city, on a ranch in the mountains, and really just trying to like make my little plot of land entirely self-sufficient. Because if things do get weird at whatever point in the world, at least I know that I'm set up to, to be able to, to thrive. And I think there's almost a, a huge sense of respect for nature, right? 100%. And uh, just going through your feed on social, I think that was something that stuck out to me that I never really attached to a Rastafari lifestyle, right? Yeah. Just how I've always operated too. It's like yeah. nature brings us, we were saying on, on the hike, nature brings us back to our true authentic self, yes. right? Like yes, it yes. strips away all the stuff that we're polluted with yes. on in the internet and through socialism and through high yes. school and all of the shit that is going on in the world. It's like strip all of that away and be raw and one yeah. with nature. And it, it eliminates all the bullshit, right? Yeah. And it, it's such a raw sense of living. Yeah. Uh, is that a big piece as well? 100%. I mean, I, I, I had somebody ask me, I took them on a run in Glacier Park the other day and, and uh, right before we met actually, and they're like, I just get so bored running in the mountains. And, and that's hard for me to imagine because there, there's, there's so much life, there's so much energy around you mm-hmm. at all times that I find it difficult to, to even think about that. But... I think that the land can be our greatest teacher mm-hmm. because there is so much there. There's the, the rock, there's the, the flowers, the trees, the air, the sounds. There's so many different things that are available for you to tap into. And when it comes to running, like I found that when I can get into like that, that, that state where I have all of those things combined, I feel untouchable. Oh yeah. I feel like there's nothing else in the world that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we were talking about like footfall and your breath, and when you can tap into that, and you're out in nature in Glacier Park, you just you go to a whole nother plane. Yeah, and it's it's the most incredible feeling ever. Oh man, that's, that's why I love running so yeah. much. I'm sure you do too. Yeah, I feel like there's something. through the hardship of running or through the hardship of doing yeah. things that are uncomfortable. There's so many lessons, right? And yes. you can't see them unless you're in it long enough, right? Yeah. And you're yeah, yeah. pushed past like the uncomfort the yeah, discomfort yeah. kind yeah. of stage. And then if you stop and you're in this euphoric state and you're surrounded by nothing but elements. And to me, I'm like, there's lessons here, right? I remember going through Iceland and having these mental blocks of like having meltdowns. And then when you're in that state of mind, which I can, un- you can yeah. understand that when you have gone and pushed your body to beyond where yeah, it should yeah. go, yeah. you start to try and find stuff, right? To yeah. keep you going. Absolutely. Um, and one of them for me was hills. Like, yeah. It's like they're analogies to life. Like nature is an analogy to life, right? If we go up, it's great. It's fucking hard, right? But I know that if we go on uphill, we're also going to go down and it's going to get easier. But when it gets easier, I know that the next thing's going to happen is we're going to go up again. So it's like I kept finding these analogies that were all around me. I'm like, holy shit, hills are like life. Life goes up, it goes down. (laughs) It goes up, it goes down. And, you know, 
ride the highs and push through the lows. And that's what it's all about. Same thing with water. I remember I am a very uh, hard-headed individual that <laughs> finds change hard to, to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's been my biggest thing on this trip. It's like, no, no, no. Like, my idea is to just flow like water, man. That's it. Flow. Like, shit goes wrong, we're going to find a new direction and just keep flowing and and there are so many lessons in nature do you think that there's anything that i've given you a couple of my examples Mm -hmm. that that you feel or you see or lessons that that maybe glacier national park has taught you i think i think i learned something new all the time to be honest with you um one of the most recent ones that i've had is i was doing this really really tough climb in glacier park and i was in that like that that pain cave they call it in ultra running where it's this place where everything hurts everything sucks but you're still having to move forward because nobody is going to come to save you you know what I mean yeah I I was in that place and I knew that I needed to stay in it because I was trying to work through something in my head and for a while as I was in the pain cave and I was making this tough climb I was I was like angry Mm -hmm. I was like just thinking to myself like god I hate this I hate this climb I hate this climb but then I don't know like I had this moment for a second where I realized that, wait a second, why am I angry at the mountain? Why am I angry for this climb? Mm -hmm. The mountain is trying to teach me something. Mm -hmm. The mountain is like wanting to, wanting me to succeed. It's wanting to show me something. And when I made that silly little shift from being angry at the hill because it was steep and realizing that the mountain is actually here for my benefit, it changed my entire way of thinking. And, and I took that lesson and I brought it into my daily life now because when things start to get really shitty and I'm feeling stuck, it's the obstacle that's actually here for my benefit. 100%. The, the, the incline is here for my benefit. This, this whatever situation is here to teach me something. Yeah. yeah. And so when I can like shift the way that I think from being angry or frustrated at it to now, what can I learn from it? Man, it's over the past, you know, few weeks it's it's been such a big shift for me yeah um i mean Paolo can talk about this but we're working through this book we actually lost it forgot in the plane right we got oh, oh no yeah Uh-oh. it's Dang. called the obstacle is the way oh yeah have you heard of it uh i haven't heard of it but that sounds very much like what the stoics would talk about yeah that's exactly what it is so there's yeah. a guy named ryan holiday okay maybe you heard of him okay uh huge stoic guy he developed this uh podcast First of all, he's a writer, yeah. and all of his writings about Stoicism. Got it. And he tells a story from the early Stoics, uh, bringing it back to the day-to-day life they would live today, right? Yeah. How we can apply it, uh, what they would do, and then filled with stories. And the name of the book is "The Obstacles the Way." Yeah. And uh, I mean, numerous quotes from all of them, uh, especially Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. He was uh, maybe, arguably. The one guy, the main guy that uh, Ryan Holiday lies on, and he says that. He says, um, what stands in the way, uh, no, the, what stands in the way becomes the way. So the impediment to advancement mm-hmm. becomes the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one thing that we are kind of trying to apply as we made this huge shift from a regular mundane life to taking a trailer around the country and getting more in touch with uh, nature. And you guys share the experience that we have with nature. To me, one things that one of the things that I was able to kind of capture is it makes you believe, even for a second, when you're out there and you see some stuff, um, 
that there's got to be something, a higher power, 100%. whatever that is, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's just unacceptable for you to see something like Yosemite, for instance. And you're like, man, how is this even possible? Right. You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't think of something like that. Yeah. You can put in the screen of a phone and you're like, oh my, like, what is this? Yeah. And then for a second, you're like, man, we're so small and there's so much to learn in this space. Um, and like she said, we're continuously and constantly polluted by the day-to-day and, and everything that's around us. And when you get out there, it's almost like pulling a plug yep. and like putting that plug elsewhere. Yep. And you're able to recharge your body in a whole different way, a whole different level. 100%. That it's very different to me because I, I didn't grow up with this. Yeah. I didn't grow up um, outdoorsy and doing all these things. So to me, it's all new. And being all new, it's all like new stimuli that come and I'm like well, this is insane yeah so we've seen some stuff with content some stuff that was insane I remember there was one night that uh, we were camping out Sawaro uh, in Arizona and uh, doing a camping overnight and we're having fun we're hanging by the bonfire with friends that came to visit and then all of a sudden and you can even see the silhouette of the mountains pitch black um just a little bonfire that we had going on. And then all of a sudden we see this amber-like neon thing popping out of the mountain and we all start going nuts. And we're like, what the We'd had that? a little bit of whiskey, so. <laughs> a right, lot of yeah. whiskey. So, no, so first we saw was this glow behind the mountain. Okay. And we're like, guys, look at that glow. Something's going on there. And- um, I immediately was like, we're gonna die. It's a fire. <laughs> it's a fire. It's a fire. <laughs> And we're like, dude, it's a fire. And then we see, and literally, imagine, you can close your eyes for a second, you guys are listening. Imagine, it's pitch black, you see a glow, the glow basically delineates this silhouette of the mountain, yeah. far from you. And then on top of the silhouette, there's a little amber-like just popping up. And we're like, dude, what's that amber? And, and for a second, there was a friend that he was, wasn't feeling too well. And uh, he wasn't drinking whiskey like we were. And I'm like, dude, you got to come out of here. Please, and give us your sober eyes. Please make sense of what's going on. Help us. Right. And sure enough, he comes out of the tent and goes, what's going on? I'm like, dude, look at that. What is that? And he goes, I think it's an UFO. I'm like, oh my God, grab your, yeah, yeah. grab your phones. I'm like, he's sober, grab your phones. And um, you grab and, the binoculars and at I'm that like, point. And I'm like, we have binoculars. Get the beanies and we take the binoculars. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my God. And they're like, what do you see? I'm like, he was crying. oh my God. He was just I'm crying. Like, what do you see? I'm like, that's the moon. And oh, it was a moonrise, wow. which yeah. I didn't even know that existed like that. Oh, wow. Just the same way that we go to the beach like early in the morning, every now and then, and then we see the sun rising. Yeah, yeah. It was the moon rising. Which, by the way, we're gonna the we're gonna sound really funny now because after this happened, I went home and was like, "Does the moon rise? The moon <laughs> rises every single night, but because of where we've lived our whole life, we've never seen it. But no one we're so polluted with life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was for wild. that one moment. No one on the planet saw what we saw. Yeah. Unless you were at that side of the mountain at that very time at the very place, and man, it started coming up, and I gave him the binoculars. I took two steps forward, and I was like. And I started crying. I started crying. Of course. And I'm like, this is. And then it came out and literally unplugged from the mountain. Yeah, it was beautiful. Up on us, and I'm like, this is. I think it's one of those things, right? Like, yeah, it's it it was such a beautiful thing. But if you go back to regular life, right, and what that beautiful moment gave for us, or what the what Glacier National Park does for you, there's so many people that live in the city in a really fast, hustling and bustling space that are 
seeking for something to fix them, right? Yeah. It's like, I need to, a therapy's great, like, but I need a therapist or I need this uh, recovery practice or I need to go through these stages of a retreat to try and find peace, right? Yeah. Everyone is searching and trying so hard yeah. to find peace. When I was younger, I was raised and uh, exposed to outdoor stuff from a very young age. But I didn't realize then that my parents were doing that because they couldn't afford to take us to the sure. fancy places that other, everyone else could go right. to. I felt like I had a rich childhood, but we were in the woods building forts and shit. Yeah. Years go by, I go through a whole lot of shit in life. So I'm taken away from that stuff that I think makes me feel like safe and at yeah. home. And now that I'm older, it's become cool again to be out in the woods and yeah, in nature. Yeah. But uh, I don't think it took until... I mean, I've always known of like the outdoors, but being alone January of this year in the woods for three days with mm. no one around but bears yeah. <laughs> at like low 20s, yeah. it gives you a sense of uh, an understanding of who you are when you're alone, right? Because the rest of my life is always supported and there's always people around, there's always people watching. And it's almost like tapping into a whole different space within my mind of what I really, who I really am as a human, be human being, what I really stand for, and where I want to go. Do you often escape into the woods and do something similar? So I think that um, a lot of people would see going into nature as disconnecting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I kind of see it the other way. I, I Me kinda, too. I kind of see it as reconnecting because initially that's, that's where we all came from originally was was dirt in the hills and the trees and I feel like any time that I go back there uh, that's when I feel my best that's mm -hmm. when I feel my most creative that's when I feel my most recharged and clear on like what my my sense of purpose mm -hmm. is even and like what really yeah. matters to me because I, I know for a fact that if I'm dealing with anything uh, that's stressing me out, which I have a high level of stress as it is, but I know that when, I'm, when I go into the mountains, especially in Glacier Park, where that energy is just, it, it's just palpable. You, you feel it. And I know, I know you guys felt it too, but like everything just goes away from me. And I just, I always come out a better person knowing exactly what I need to do, exactly where I need to be. And it's always kind of been my therapy, my church. And going back to Rastafari, I think that that's another one of those things is that uh, being in nature and being outdoors is is church. And it really is that way for me too. Mm -hmm. Now we've talked about you and I think you're a fascinating person, right? But this is a great opportunity for us to lead into business, right? Yeah. And I'm going to start in a place that's probably way too far ahead to understand how you made fitness your life yeah. and how you made it your career. Yeah. But I read a post the other day, which is going to tune into exactly what you just said. And I think that you were in a headspace that maybe you didn't want to be in yeah. a pretty heavy mindset at that moment. And you're like, fuck, I've got to go give this, you do public speaking. I got to go stand on stage and, and inspire and motivate these these people, and I'm not in the right state. So you're there's a photo of you on stage, covered in sweat, uh, and you're talking to a shit ton of people. Can you tell us about that experience? Because I think that's a, yeah. that piece right there is really important. So so I'm I'm not going to pretend like everything in my life is wonderful now, and I'm always on top and feeling wonderful. Um, even today, waking up this morning was tough for me to get out of bed. I think that probably for the last two and a half months now, I've been feeling really heavy and I can't really, I think, I think I know what those things are, but I'm not fully clear. So recently I was in Helena, Montana, which is our state's capital. And I was 
I was at an event for about 500 um, real estate agents. And I was set to deliver a talk that afternoon on health and how to change the way that you think about health and being able to reintegrate it into your busy real estate lifestyle. Again, that morning, woke up just not feeling good, not really wanting to give my talk, um, feeling unmotivated. And I, I have a life rule that I run every day, no matter what. Doesn't matter, I run. And I didn't want to run. I didn't want to talk, I didn't want to run. And so as I'm like working through my self-talk and, and I'm going through it, I'm, I'm asking myself, well, okay, if you don't want to run today, what do you want to do? Well, uh, I want to stay in my hotel room. Do you want to run? No. Do you, run, do you want to run a half marathon? No. Do you want to run a full marathon? Hell no, I don't <laughs> want to run a full marathon. I got to go give a talk in five hours. Okay, you don't want to run a full marathon? You should probably do that. Yeah. You should probably do that. So I grab my shit, I get out the door, and I'm like, all right, I've got five hours before I need to be on stage. Let's go run a marathon. So I grab Fuck myself yeah. and I go. And, and I get out there, and, and I knock out 26-something miles, and I make it back to stage just in time, like, <laughs> like five minutes or so before wow. I'm set to go on stage. I didn't shower. I didn't change my clothes. I apologized to the woman that was miking me. Because <laughs> like, I was drenched and smelling yeah. like, you know, like a gym bag and, and feet. Yeah. <laughs> I know that smell very well. <laughs> oh, man. But, but I'll tell you what. Um, going up on stage and speaking to a room of people that are dressed well and smelling good. And I'm looking like a, you know, like a, like a, a fat slug on stage because I'm gross and everything. Um, was actually like one of the best things that I could have done in that moment. Because while I didn't look the part or anything like that, I think subliminally it was a powerful message to everybody in the room that day because my talk was on doing hard things. And if you want to be able to get to a deeper understanding of who you are and what you're capable of, you have to be willing to do those things. You have to learn sometimes how to force yourself to act. And it was difficult for me that morning to get up, but the, my big takeaway in my conversation with them was, was just that. Like, sometimes you have to do the dirty work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't actually tell them what I had done until close to the end of my presentation. And somebody asked me, you know, like... Um, why are you so sweaty? And why do you smell like a gym bag? Well, nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and I told them that. And uh, everyone just erupted with laughter and, and applause and... Um, I think it really solidified the fact that we have to do hard things. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that conversation was it ended up being probably the best talk on stage I've ever given. Amazing. So it was a powerful really reminder cool. for yeah. them and for me. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> That's what David Goggins says. Uh, the definition of self-discipline is to do shit when you don't want to do shit. Yeah. Yes. That's it. Yes. And it's almost right. like a, a muscle. I know that sounds cheesy, but... I go through seasons, right, yeah. of, like, being super psycho about doing things that I don't want to do mm -hmm. just to, like, reconfirm to myself that I can still do that shit. Yeah. But I also feel like it, it makes me feel sharp, right? And if I don't challenge myself, I feel like I'm getting stagnant mm -hmm. and that my truth is my truth and my, my stagnant self is probably <laughs> someone else's high-performing self. For sure. But I think that once you start to tap into your own potential and you start to see what you're capable of and accept the scariest truth that it's yeah. ultimately all up to you. Yeah. And that goes for 
anyone in this world. You know, you can become an ultra runner if you want to. Yeah. You can open eight businesses if you want to. You can run a marathon if you want to. And this goes for absolutely anyone, whether you have one leg, two legs, one arm, two arms, choice is yours, right? It doesn't matter. Which is a really intimidating thought. I think the most important truth that we all start to understand. I said to Paolo, and we talk about this a lot, and we always attach your state of mind to our physical output, right? Like there's always, yeah, we can look good. Yeah, we can have you run a full marathon and get you a six pack and blah, 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 blah. All of that stuff is important. And that's what I guess our career is, right? But I've never focused on that. Any program that we ever write, we're not talking about weight loss. We don't give a shit how much you weigh. We're not here for before and after pictures. Like, I want you to write a story of who you are on day one, and then I want you to write a letter to yourself at the end. Like, who are you? What did you tap into? What did you discover about yourself during this stage? And I think it's a really scary place to be, right? Because we, we call it like waking up or having this enlightenment stage. Maybe you hit rock bottom to find that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have incredible people that are in your life that like plant these little seeds that will start to grow as you as you start to get older. But I think staying woke or waking up to to your own potential yeah. is a really scary place to be because the, the, then the sky is the limit, right? And it's up to you. Yeah. Um, but do you think that uh, you will always be this way? Do you think that you, I know, I want to get into relationships here because yeah. I know that you have a daughter yeah. and I want to yeah, talk yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think that this is something that you wish that you could instill in your daughter to continue doing? Like, tell me about that. Cause I know you and I have got a similar, similar, yeah. we're aligned on that for sure. I think that, I think that I'm always going to be, uh, as self accountable as, as I am. Like I'm not perfect, when it comes to that, but I know that I'm always going to be driving forward. And I think part of it is because I have a hard time sitting still. Um, but I think a, a bigger part of it is that I've had probably four situations in my life where, uh, where I about died. I had one time where I actually did die, pronounced dead. Wow. I came shit. back from that. Let's but, put a pin on that. But, <laughs> yeah. but what, what came from those near death experiences was the fact that I'm nobody special and my life can be taken from me at any moment. Why the hell was I saved? Mm -hmm. And I think that when you have those near death experiences, you start to really understand the value of time Mm -hmm. and you appreciate it for what it is. And so I think that I'm always going to be trying to maximize every moment of every day. So I don't think I'm going to change in that respect. But I think that when it comes to my daughter, I've definitely, um, I've definitely instilled a work ethic in her much like my dad instilled that in me and I see my kid now she's a beautiful 13 year old compassionate kind-hearted kid who's just an absolute savage when mm-hmm. it comes to gymnastics she's a three-time state champion she's wow. just so smart like so she knows how to work and I think a big part of that has come from her watching me work mm-hmm. and I just I just can't be any more grateful for that. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> when I say all of these things, right, a lot of people that listen find it so hard. It's, like, frustrating for them. It's yeah. like, they, you don't understand, like, right? That always comes up. Or yeah. it's easy for you to say because you do what you do, right? But yeah. I wasn't always this way. Like, right. we aren't born this way. Some people may be. I definitely wasn't. I am not there yet. Like it's going to be a lifelong journey to continue being 100%. this person, right? Because the same person that's here, sat here right now, is the same person that was a total dickhead 
10 years ago. And I am so in tune with who that person was and who I am now that it's like an ultimate goal, right? To never, ever let myself go back there. And I go through the same thing. I'll I'll wake up and feel like I feel the demons knocking and I I know they're there and I know they want to scream, but I have to continuously put effort in to make sure that I remain here or move forward, just definitely not backwards. So from someone listening for us, that uh, uh, it seems so easy now, right? Like it wasn't always that way. What kind of things do you do to keep trying to make sure that you can continue doing this life yeah. that you're living? Yeah. Just to help someone from the outside in that's listening to this conversation, maybe pick up a couple nuggets to take away with them. Here's what's worked for me the best. Now, by nature, I am not uh, <laughs> like a rule follower. I like, to, I like to do my own thing. I like to carve my own path. However, what has really helped me over time is two things. Number one is I know that it's difficult to make decisions when you're unsure of who you are or where it is you want to go. So the first thing that's really helped my life is I've created uh, what I call uh, an ethos, a a warrior ethos. It sounds cheesy, but I see myself as a warrior in a lot of ways because of what I've gone through and where I want to be. And I need to be a warrior and able to accomplish that. So I created an ethos and in my ethos, there are certain things I stand for and there are certain things that I don't. And by having that ethos in place, a set of principles or tenets or whatever you want to call them, it makes my day-to-day life so much easier. Because if I know that I stand for X, then I know that I need to, I need to say yes or no to it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just so much easier to make those daily decisions when you know what it is that you stand for. So number one, I would encourage you to create your own set of principles or tenets or things that you stand for. That way, when you're presented in a situation, it's so much easier for you to say yes or to say no. So I think that that's mm-hmm. thing number one that's really helped right. me. Thing number two is I've created a fun set of life rules. I currently have five. I may have another five in a week. I don't know. I just add them as I go. I think I read one of them. <laughs> I might have to adopt it. Which as one? long as I bring a towel. That oh, you will yeah. always jump into a lake if you see one. 100%. If I'm running in the I'm mountains, I'm a dipper. Are you? I'm a dipper. Yeah, yeah. man. He's a dipper. We do that. Yeah, it doesn't matter how cold. Whenever we go on these trips, I'm like, oh man, are we dipping? Yeah. You know, like, oh, we can't. Like, Come on. <laughs> yeah. I'm a dipper. Yeah, I like that. You have to, man. You have to. Absolutely have to. And again, I'm not a rule follower by nature, but my life rules are fun. I want to yeah. follow those rules yeah. because, well, they're mine. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're fun. So having a set of life rules, I think, is also really important. Because it keeps you on track Mm -hmm. and it helps to really keep you self-accountable. And that's made a huge difference in my life. And keeps it fun, right? Because you only create rules that you want to do if they're your own rules. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Can you share the other ones? My life rules? Yeah. So (laughs) life rule number one is I'm never too busy to stop and pet the dogs. I don't care if I'm in a race. I love that. I don't care if I'm running in the mountains. I don't care if I'm late for a meeting and I pass by a dog on the street. I'm laying on the floor with the dog and I'm going to engage. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I don't care. So that's rule number one. Rule number two is I'll never turn down a good cookie. A cookie? Oh, yeah. I'll never turn down a good cookie. I like that. You guys are aligned on that for sure. I love You guys are dippers and cookie cookie monsters. (laughs) That's my my weakness. I talk about all the self-discipline I have when it comes to cookies. I have none. (laughs) I have none. Life rule number three is that if I'm ever coming across a mountain, a lake in the mountains, I'm getting in. 100%. I don't care. 
Doesn't matter. Even if even if I don't have a change of clothes, I'll dry off. Doesn't matter. I like that. I love it. So I'm always diving in head first. That's amazing. Uh, rule number four is that uh, I run every day now. Doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter the weather. It doesn't matter anything. I'm just running every day. Even if day. it's for 10 minutes, 30 minutes. Doesn't matter. Yep. As long as I'm you're running. running. I love as that. As long as I'm running. And, and it's I'm a healthy running. rule. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, exactly. So, so those are my life rules at the moment. Um, and like I said, I'll, I'll make them up as I go along. But uh, so far, those are my big ones. I, I dig really that. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And now we don't have to go into too much detail if you don't want to, but you said that you've almost, you've kissed death yeah. quite a few times. And yeah, there's been yeah. four experiences in your life that have kind of helped you remind yourself to keep living. Yeah. Um, that isn't the case for a lot of people. If yeah. Some people go through an experience that could show them way too close to the edge of death that it redefines their entire life and uh, almost like a victim mindset yeah. versus using it as fuel yeah. to become a better individual and to, to keep living. Yeah. So can you help us understand a little bit about those and the lessons yeah. you learned? So let me take you back. I'm going to share one. Let me take you back to uh, November 8th, 1999. I'm living in California on the Central Coast. And this was pre-bull riding. Okay. So it's, it's before that. And I'm a skateboarder. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I love to skate. I love to skate. And I'm, I'm at my junior high. I'm with my mom in the car. And I'm having an argument about, about the fact that I want to go hang out with my friends, but she wants me to come home. And I have my skateboard in between my knees. I'm in the passenger seat of the car. And in like a moment's notice as we're arguing, I grab the door, open it up, run off, and I take off to my friend's house. My mom's yelling at me to come back. I don't listen. I'm gone. What I wanted to do that night is I wanted to go skateboard. And there's a, there's a group of skaters that met every Wednesday night. And later on that evening, the sun's starting to set. My buddy Ryan and I, we grab our skateboards and we head probably, I don't know, it's probably like an eight or nine mile ride from here. And, um, and we take off. And we're coming down this really steep hill. I've got this helmet on that I borrowed from his sister, but I don't have the helmet clipped. We're coming down this hill, we're going really fast, and the buckle of the helmet is starting to like whip me in the neck and it's kind of irritating me. So I buckle the helmet and we come up on a freeway off-ramp. And as we come up on the off-ramp, there's a crosswalk. And I do this little ollie from the, the sidewalk into the, into the crosswalk. What I didn't realize is that the light had turned green. And as I get into the crosswalk, my last visual was a white or a black car coming right at me from the side. Um, I woke up the next day in the critical care unit in the hospital there in my hometown. And what I found out was that I had been run over by a car. Oh my gosh. Um, How old? I was 13. Oh my gosh. I had been run over by a car and the, the, the details and the scary part of all of this was not only was I ran over by a car, but once the woman had stopped and realized that I had been underneath, and this is all in accordance to the police, her report, and my friend Ryan, she had backed up to try to get off of me because I was pinned underneath, Oof. realized oh that I wasn't... I wasn't coming off. And so she drove forward again oh my gosh. to try to get off of me all the while being drugged underneath the vehicle. God. Um, it was a really tough situation. I, but before I tell you that, 
here's what's really interesting about this story. And we talk about like divine intervention and we talk about like right place, right time. As all of this is going on, and I couldn't make this up if I tried, as this is happening, a tow truck driver is driving in the opposite direction of, of where my accident is happening, sees what's going on, pulls over, and I'm pinned underneath the car. My, my right rear arm is pinned under the back tire. Tow truck driver gets out, runs over to the car. There's a bystander that gets out of her car and comes over to help the tow truck driver. Tow truck driver literally lifts the back rear tire oh my of this car that I'm pinned under while the bystander pulls me out from underneath the car. This is a little Dodge Stealth. And if you're not familiar with the Dodge Stealth, there's very little clearance on these kinds yeah. of cars. The man lifts the car up. The woman pulls me out. Guess what's two cars back from An the woman that hit me? An ambulance. An ambulance. No way. An ambulance. It's amazing. Isn't that incredible? That's, That's insane. insane. Within, I don't even know how much time it was, but a very short amount of time, I'm pulled out, I'm put on the ambulance, <clears throat> and I'm on my way to the hospital. So care started right away. Wow. If it hadn't have had been there, that would have been a different story. Yeah. Wow. Who knows? And then you get to the hospital. Oh, wow. What is the situation? You wake up the next day and what's the situation? You're like, My what? first thought the next day was, where am I? What's happened? I figure out I got all these tubes in me. I realize something's wrong. And I'm like, where's Ryan? Oh. Where's Ryan? And Ryan was right there. Oh, man. And your mom, the fact that you got out the car. My mom. Yeah, my mom was there too. You'll never say goodbye on a bad note again, I'm sure. Never again. So that wow. was that was a really scary situation to be in. Um, I broke several bones. I still have nerve damage in my arm. Uh, one, my right arm is sh I don't know if you could see this on camera, but my Shut right up. arm is shorter than my left because I broke my right arm, my right uh, clavicle, my right scapula, my right hip, oh, nerve wow. damage in my hands. So I still don't have any feeling of my thumb, uh, pointer finger, and then into my forearm in here. Whoa. So, but, but here's what's, what's interesting. Remember I was telling you about that helmet, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, helmet wow. That was whipping me in the face. Yeah. Why'd I you do that up? It. I buckled it probably about a hundred yards before the accident. Insane. Absolutely insane. And now yeah. after this has happened, are these questions you can constantly ask yourself, like, why did I do my buckle up? Why did I buckle my helmet? Why was I spared? Why was that ambulance there? How did that guy lift that vehicle? Like just... So many things it's, come into play, it's right? It's almost that feeling of unplugging from the matrix, right? Mm -hmm. You yeah. stop mm -hmm. seeing, you stop seeing yeah. the, 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 not the fake light, but you stop seeing this thing that's, that everyone worships, this life that we live. Yeah. And then you start seeing from a different perspective and you're like, no man, this shit can be pulled from you at any second, yep. any second, yep. right? Wow. Wow. And people die for less every day. So yeah. why was I saved? What, yeah. was I, what was I meant to accomplish? What was I meant to do? And I think that that's like, has been one of the earliest catalysts for me to push as hard as I do and to stay as curious as mm -hmm. I am. What the hell am I supposed to be doing? So that's I have no insane. problem. I have no problem like completely switching things up nowadays and trying something new. Yeah. I have no problem doing it. Now that's a personal experience that you've had that's kind of, reminded you to live right and appreciate yeah. life yeah. um we had a we've had too many losses right in yeah. our life uh yeah 
that I think switched and pushed us to flick that switch of like, we live by our motto, which is remember to live before you die. Mm. Cause I don't think that youth is on your side. And yeah. I think that my whole life that has been in my brain is, which is why I used to burn the candle yeah. and do fucking dumb shit. Yeah. And in the moment <laughs> of doing dumb shit, I remember being like, I'm young, yeah. I'm okay, I'm yeah, young, I'm young, you know? 100%. And uh, unfortunately we lost uh, two people within a week, um, just a few years ago now. And it's forced us to be like, okay, why are we waiting? What, what, what are we waiting for? Like, you could die tomorrow, I could die tomorrow. I don't want to, or we could get to our deathbed and go, fuck, man, I wish we did this, that, and the other. And now it's like this ultimate goal, maybe a little bit too extreme for the average person to just live. Yeah. Have you had, a, I think I did read something that you've had loss and it kind of forces you to appreciate life and uh, to start living for those that can't live, right? That's been a goal for us rather than, being sad in those moments, which obviously we go through the, those moments too, but remembering the people that have gone, they wouldn't want us to hold back, you know? So to live for those that can't live right now. Yeah. Um, is there anything you've experienced like that? So I, I think that I've, I've experienced a lot of loss even recently. And, and I think that that's kind of why it's been hard for me to get up every morning the past couple months, because mm -hmm. just a couple months ago, I, I lost two people in a week as well. Oh man, oh. I'm sorry. Yeah. So back to back loss is, is tough. Um, but I think prior to that in, in 2013, um, I think I have experienced my greatest loss yet, which was my father figure, my coach, my mentor, my football coach, like, um, you know, this man was, was, uh, my best friend. And it was when I went over to his house one morning and was trying to figure out why he wasn't answering his door. Cause I know he's an early morning person ending up having to break into his home, um, only to find him dead in bed. And mm. I think that, that, um, that, that has been my greatest loss in terms of a, a person. Um, but what it has also taught me is that at any point, you know, that can happen to me too, because nobody had expected him to die, at least not anytime soon, mm -hmm. because it was just four days prior to me finding him that we were at a rodeo together. Me, my daughter, him, his daughter, and my kid's mom. And what was interesting about that moment was at the end of the night, he had driven to the rodeo, right? So at the end of the night, he drove us home and we get into the car or excuse me, we get out of the car and he's like, everybody huddle up, everybody huddle up. So we're in my driveway, we're huddled up. He's got one arm around me and he's got his other arm around my daughter. And then we're all in this real tight circle. And it was the first time that we had all spent time together. <laughs> and like, as we're all in tight, he, he says, we're family now. And he, he kissed me on the forehead and he kissed my daughter on the forehead. And that was the, like the last, the last time I ever saw him. That was the last thing that he ever said to me was we're family now. And he kissed me, he kissed my kid. And, uh, it was four days later that I found him. Man. And so it's at any point you never know. Mm-hmm. And is his daughter young? She's um, a little bit younger than I am. She's 31. Mm -hmm. So she's four years younger than me. And you guys are still super tight? She was just here a couple of weeks ago. She stays with us twice a year. Comes oh, up. Awesome. She lives in California, but she comes and stays with us twice a year. <clears throat> man, yeah. that's, that's cool. I'm so sorry, man. It's, 
life is so fickle, so, right? It's uh, yes. It's one of those things, and a lot of things don't make sense. And I've always tried to find the answer, and I've just stopped trying to do that now. You know, yeah. but one thing that we can do is not stop living, right? Because yeah. I hope that no one ever has to experience anything like that, or having a visual of finding someone or seeing someone pass in front of you is something that it's trauma, you know, and it's something really hard to, to let go of. Um, but it's a heavy thing, but I think it also pushes us to try and see what else there is. Right. And to try and live a little bit more. And my goal now is like not for anyone to experience that, but like that taught me the craziest lesson. So now it's like everyone else, like stop worrying so much, just stop fucking living, Mm -hmm. you know, because I hope you don't have to experience something like that to find that gear, but find it, find it now. Yeah. I work with a lot of people who, who, sometimes struggle at making those, those decisions to move forward or what should I do here? What should I do there? And, and I think that I, I don't really understand why, but it, it has always been a little bit easier for me to just act. Mm-hmm. And I think that like one of the foundational things that I found for people that struggle with taking action on things is that it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the action is. It doesn't matter what route you choose to go down because there's always going to be a lesson in moving forward, mm-hmm. whether you're right or whether you're wrong, mm-hmm. there's a lesson there. And, and I think that sometimes we get caught in thinking, well, or excuse me, even overthinking, we get caught in overthinking in terms of taking action. But one of the things that's helped me the most is just realizing that it doesn't matter what action I take right now. As long as I'm just choosing to move forward today in Correct. this moment right now, there's a lesson in it, whether mm-hmm. I'm right or whether I'm wrong, if I choose to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has been one of the biggest lessons that I learned from, from my coach that I lost. His name is Coach C, Coach Cervantes, was to just continue to move forward and making those decisions every day to, to find some kind of progress and to not overthink it. Yeah. yeah. It really doesn't matter where you're trying to go. No, it doesn't. You're going to find out. Yeah. As long as you're going. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough, man. Um, so when she was saying that, that one week we lost two people really close to us, it was, it was a Tuesday. It was March 27th, right? Um, our friend passed cancer. It wasn't, not unexpected. She was in a really bad situation. Um, but that happened. And then March 30th is my dad's birthday. And we wake up in the morning and I'm like, man, I gotta call my dad. I gotta call my dad. And then we go to the hospital to, to take... Which is horrible, actually, to think about what we were doing. We were taking our friend that had passed her first-born son, second or second-born son. He, she uh, died while being six months pregnant um, with stage four can- colon cancer. But the diagnosed, baby... Yeah. Diagnosed, yeah. The baby survived. So we had to take him in to get, like, a checkup because he was so premature. And Jeff, her husband, was the the, like, the doctor's office for the baby was on one side of the street and the hospital where Jess had passed was on the other side and he had to go pick up her death certificate it was like a really rough day and I remember being in the baby office with Courtney and and the boys Jeff coming back to try and find you know find us after picking up this death certificate and then we went outside and I just remember someone saying to me like what the fuck has happened to Paolo and Paolo's on the floor and I'll let him Oof. take it from there. But man, that was a pretty rough situation, right, babe? Yeah. Um, so that morning, my brother had texted all of us because it was my dad's birthday. But he texted, it was a passage from the Bible. And it essentially says, um, 
I'm going to translate because it's in Portuguese. Oh, that's what you have on your phone? Yeah. So basically, it's a passage that says, um, and so we all need to be prepared because the son of the God will come in the moment where we expect the least. And then that was at 5.40 in the morning. And then this is around 10 a.m. And we're in the doctor's office. I'm like, man, I got to call my dad. And then my dad calls me. I'm like, holy shit, I missed. I should have called before uh, because it was his birthday. And then he calls me saying that my brother had passed. And that was the very last um, message. And it was like whew, one very, very, very full week. And it's tough. But it's at least knowing that this very last interaction was something meaningful yeah. that you can take with you, yeah. it makes uh, things a little better. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You save the text. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I actually Tough. didn't know that. I've never yeah, heard yeah. that story. That's pretty crazy. But it does. It's like, it's like a heavy experience, right? That, that pushes you to almost want to just run away, crawl under a rock and never, ever come back out. Right. And I think that we felt that entirely, especially like having a social image online and like everything that we do is is put out there. Um, this was probably one of the biggest times that it rocked our oh, fucking yeah. life and was like, yeah. well, shit, how do we deal with this, right? Yeah. We've got yeah, two yeah. options here. Yeah. We can either run away and delete Instagram and like, because I was afraid of how I was going to deal with it. I was afraid of how we as a husband and wife were going to deal with it. I was afraid of everything, like, yeah. right? And um, that was a moment of having a, a really hard conversation with yourself, which is like... <laughs> My brain goes to, I don't want to put my personal shit online. My friend just died. My brother-in-law just died. Like, this is so heavy and so raw that, like, this is not anyone else's business. And it makes you go kind of, like, against the world. And then it was like, hang on. Those people aren't coming back, right? And that's un the unfortunate truth that we can all know from this. And there's no way that that's going to change. These individuals had so much love to give life. They were so alive and wanted to, to grab life by the balls and squeeze it. Yeah. So let's try and do that. And let's try and spin this situation to try and do something great for those that don't have a platform or power to do that, right? So yes. we tried to turn around and we took Iceland as an opportunity to just pour pain into that road. And I don't think I could do that now, you know, without that pain driving me to, to push through every day. Yeah. I don't know if I could have done that. Um, now on these ultras, yeah. I have a vision that I wish I could get rid of and I'll only bring it out if I need it. Do you have, I like, it's like a tool, right? Like in the, in that pain cave when you've got not much further to go, but you really want to fucking quit your body shutting down. Do you have any replays or do you have any moments that you go to or, or, or do you go into this arsenal in your mind that you usually keep closed to push through? Or what, what is the inner conversation, I guess, at that point? I think that uh, what drives me, there's, there's two things that I go to in, in those moments. Um, I know one of the things that's hurt me the most in my life is after I lost Coach C because I really spiraled fast. Um, I... I was engaged at the time and couldn't manage myself as a partner anymore. So we called off the engagement. I had to move back in with my mom. I had gained 30 pounds. I had stopped caring about me. I had spent every dollar that I had trying to buy back my happiness. Mm -hmm. I spent all of my money. Can you give me an example of what you were trying to try something that you purchased? So <laughs> this is so silly. Uh, 
two things I remember doing the most. Flying myself places. I would buy tickets to California. I would buy tickets to Arizona because the thought of just being on a plane and going somewhere was so helpful mm-hmm. for me. Was, mm-hmm. I was excited. I was happy. But the thing is, is the moment I got off the plane, I was like, the heck am I going to do? What am I going to do now by I, myself? Yeah. This isn't helping at all. So I would fly myself places. Once a week, I would take myself out to the fanciest restaurant in town by myself, dress up, get a big order of food. I'd buy the most expensive thing on the menu. I'd have $130 tickets every week. But then I'm eating alone. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting in my car alone. And I'm driving back to my mom's house to go in the basement with, with surrounded by boxes of things that I bought to try to make myself feel better. And I just realized like, here I am in this place with just boxes of things. But one of the things that drives me the most is while all this was going on and, and I was, had the, the wedding called off and all that, I was a shitty parent. I was a bad dad. I was unpresent. I wasn't, I wasn't focused on my kid. And that still kind of eats at me today because I lost out on six months of her life because of, of what had happened to me and how I chose to respond to it. So I think that like when I'm, when I'm in that pain cave and I'm like really going through it when I'm in a race or a, a big climb, I think about that. I think about the pain that I feel from that because it drives me to never want to be like that again mm-hmm. and to really like show my kid what's possible for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think that one of my biggest driving forces is continuing to show her what's possible by things that I do. And so I, I don't think she knows that. I've never told her that. But a lot of the, the things that I do is driven because, you know, I want my kid to realize that, you know, there's a, a completely other level of what's possible for her, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way of teaching is just by leading. By leading. You know, sure. as a child... It's hard to receive words and know what to do with them, right? It's like you're telling me what to do versus if you're showing, then it just becomes ingrained into them whether they like it or not. You know, it wasn't forced. It's just a part of your life. I think it's admirable. And I I, just from the little pieces that I've seen, like you're a rock and killer dad, man. For real. It's pretty cool to see. I agree. And as a child, you really don't think that. But as you get older, and I bet when you become a father... The role, when you play that role, yeah. the role modeling, like, because they mimic everything that you do. 100%. And there is nothing else. <laughs> yeah, they take stuff from the world outside, but to see you wake up every morning, whatever time they wake up, crack a dawn, and yeah. say, I'm going to go to Glacier to do this. Why, Dad? I need it because yeah. of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. There's really no need. Yeah. Besides the fact that something you want to do, and you're going to do it. Yeah. So for a child to see that, okay, so if I just want to do stuff, I can just go out there and do stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You just said something 100%. that like made me go, bing, uh, through all of the struggle in life, right, which we all have. Yeah. I've always questioned, like you've questioned, like, why did, why did I survive? Yeah. Why was that ambulance there? Why, why, why? I've been in some really rough spots, and I've always wondered, and I still do, why the fuck did I come home? Yes. Why did I not go over the edge? Because yes. I was so close so many times. Imagine your daughter, I was 15 years old, dating a guy that's in jail for attempted murder. Like, wow. my parents were good people. My parents are amazing people. And now that I'm an adult, 
I know that and I see that. But I always wondered, like, before I came to the US, I wasn't living at home. My mom kicked my ass out of the house. (laughs) Why did I get on that plane? Because my life would change once I came here, right? That was like a second opportunity. And I've always questioned why, 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 why? But just listening to you guys here, Mm. it has to be my parents. And it wasn't one of these, like, you need to do this. It was like, they're good people. And whether I liked it or not at that stage, that's why I came home. Yeah. So all these things that you're doing, you don't need to sit there and like mm-hmm. explain this is wrong, this is right. Yeah, those lessons come, but like just being a good person and doing the right thing as an individual, that's got to be the reason why I came home, right? Like no there's the reason, even though I thought in the moment I hated my parents and they're the worst people in the world, like they did nothing but try and parent. And now yeah. as an adult, yeah. fuck, that's got to be so hard. You're just an normal person (laughs) trying to create this human and then everything you do they mimic and they hate you and they blame you for all of their problems and their this that and the other it's like man parenting terrifying seems so scary the biggest lesson i think and we're not parents uh too fair babies you you got two little babies (laughs) exactly exactly it's not the one that you sit down and say listen let me teach you a lesson yeah no, it's the one that happens in silence every single day. Every day. Yeah. Without you even thinking. Yep. That's the biggest lesson. That's when you well, your daughter, when he, when she grows older and you're older, yeah. she's going to say, no, you know, what I learned the most about my dad, maybe in a podcast, is the fact that he did this, X, Y, yeah. Z, A, B, C, and you'd be like, whoa, but I thought I taught her <laughs> many other things. Yeah. Which you did. But she's going to absorb the continuous show of this is what you do. Yeah. Yeah, The consistency there. And perhaps maybe that's also a reason that you went back is because you knew that they were just, just there. They were consistent. They were always, yeah, they were. Cause I always used to question, you know, I think trauma has happened in the past, but not directly from my parents, you know? Yeah. And I always used to be like, why, why am I the way that I am? Why you trying to question so much stuff? But I think it take if you continuously question it and you don't find find the answer that used to rock my world. Yeah. It's like I have a problem, you know. Yeah. But I think as age and time has gone on, and the more I understand my pe- my parents as people as well, like that was a really fucking rough thing that I think that all of us go through, right? Because I always say like, um, there's a guy called Ant Middleton. He's in he's in the U- UK SAS. Okay. Um, and he talks about like, we're all victims. Most people have a victim mindset. And I love this idea of like, our parents obviously have to protect us, right? Or our guardians, whoever raises us, they wrap us up in cotton wool. You fall, they hold you and rock you until you're okay. Someone's mean to you, they hug you and they tell you that you're beautiful and that that, that they're wrong and you're right. Like they, they treat us this way because they have to. But then we get to a certain age and no one sits us down and says, all right, girl or boy, like, the shit's on you now, yeah. right? There's no one that's going to come here and protect you. No one's going to hug you if you fall. No one's going to come pick you up if you fall down. Like, that conversation never happens. And unless you have the initiative or the, the perspective or the ability or awareness, maybe is the word I'm looking for, to understand that analogy, we don't. We continuously follow the rest of our life, which majority of people do, blaming Kobe Bryant's quote, right? Like, I have nothing in common with others that blame... that people with people that blame others for their lack of success yeah. most people do that i are, i cannot make it to this because of this or yeah. this happened to me in my past so i am an alcoholic or i am depressed because of this happened all of these things are real right and i 100 percent can understand that 
But what you do with these events or with this trauma or with these experiences is what's going to dictate what happens next. 100%. I had a fucking weird thing happen on our 30th. It was like I kept trying to blame other people of why am I like this? Something must have happened that caused behavior to fall back on me. And then you stop and go, hang on a second. Let's like stop romanticizing what we thought family is supposed to be, what we thought a sibling relationship was supposed to be, what we thought parenting was supposed to be. And once we can kind of get rid of that and redefine what it really is, not what it's supposed to be, then we stop blaming and stop being so angry. And we just like redefine what we want from from each of these relationships. And rather than blaming them, it's like, no, no, no. Now it's up to me to recreate uh, the truth, right, of yeah, what we want it to be. That 2.0. Oh, yeah, man. And, and that was something that I was was kind of stuck in myself for that period of six months after losing Coach C and coming out the other side when I had this, like, defining moment or that, that like, moment of no return, realizing that I am not a product of my circumstances. Mm-hmm. I am a product of my decisions. I love that. And it's a, in, in the past six months, I've been a product of my circumstance, well, Coach C died. That's why I'm 30 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. That's why my marriage fell apart. That's why I'm living at my mom's. That's that's really not the case. That may have happened, yes, mm-hmm. but I chose to stop working out. Mm-hmm. I chose to stop being a great dad. I chose all <clears> of that. And I think once you have that realization and it finally lands with you, it it's like that awakening mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I need to do something different. I can't go back. I can't continue to go down this road because it's not serving me. It's mm-hmm. not making me better. In fact, it's making me worse. Correct. But sometimes that moment takes a really long time for it to actually land with us. Yeah. And that's why we struggle so long and believe our own stories. But man, getting that, getting that thought to finally land is, is what changed everything for me. And even if one tries to argue that we are, in fact, the product of our circumstances, if you just wait long enough, you understand that that was a trigger for some shit that happened. You hit rock bottom, but you learned the lesson and you yeah. came up and you became who you are today. Yeah. And you, if I'm right, the timeline matches. That's when you kind of dove into the Rastafari. That was it. So that's what I'm saying. Maybe it. you wouldn't been who you are today if yeah. it wasn't a lesson like that. Right. The more we uh, try to do this diving and self-development, Tony Robbins says that all the time. Um, there's a show that he uh, confronts this girl and she says, oh, I'm damaged because my father left me. And he goes, okay. And I blame him for the person who I am. Right. You got to blame him for the person who you are, but you also got to blame, blame him for being this person who doesn't take shit from anyone. The person who's the first person to get in the office and work harder than anyone. For So when, he, when we look at role models and situations we always tend to pick the negative sides of it and say, that's what's shaping me. Yes. But you forget about all the other lessons that that taught you that shaped you in a positive way. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what I mean? Of course. So if you wait long enough, those things, and no, we are product of the circumstance, yes, but you got to look at the whole thing. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, someone really close to us, maybe Hannah will, will, will know what that is, is like, look, the, the idea of family and the idea of unity and the role model that we had, uh, you know, I grew up and my parents did X, Y, and Z, and maybe that's why I'm like this. I'm like, sure. But you can also look from the standpoint of uh, 
the mom also would come from work at 11 p.m., sit in the kitchen and go through homework with you. Your dad, which now we know, didn't have to be at work at till 9 a.m. Right. But you wake up at 5 to take her to school and cook your breakfast. Right. So we always are so attached to the negatives. The negatives. Let Blaming. me pick the negatives Blaming. and say, this, that's why I'm like this. Yeah. What? Then why the fuck don't you focus on the guy waking up at 5 a.m.? Yeah. Or your mom is staying up until 2 a.m. to teach you. Yeah. Take those points and... Because it to shape yourself too. It's easier. It's easier. It's, easier. it's, easier. <laughs> it's so much easier to blame they everyone else me. and they, they, they did this and I they am. did that. Because right. well, to take it, monster. absolutely to make the decision to take action is really fucking hard. And that's scary. It's so scary. And that's one truth that I'll never lie about. Right? Like continuing to be a better person is really hard. hard. Yeah. It's easier to be a miserable person. It's easy to not check in with yourself. It's easy to not be aware of anyone else's feelings. It's so easy to be selfish, you know, but it's also not the right thing to do. I hate the quote, but it's so true. It's like yeah. struggle builds character. Yeah. It's so true. I think that uh, anyone that's been through some shit has a story to tell. I think yeah. as, from a female's point of view, that it's not normal, right, to be, well, maybe now it is, but it never used to be normal to be strong and to have muscles. I always used to think, what's she been through? Yeah. You know, what's she been through? And that was something that now I, I hold pride in that. It's like every strong woman has a story. Yeah. And, then, and thank God they're on this side. Yeah. So we touched on business. We touched on relationships. But I want to, uh, sorry, personal. I want to talk about business. Yeah, yeah. So all of these incredible, we've, which we, by the way, we've been going for like two hours. It's great. Really? I hope you I guys haven't so. got anywhere to really? go. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I don't have a thing. But, uh, but how did you get into this world? We met you through Robin, Dana, Bailey. Yeah. Um, I know that you've been training Rob for a while. You did a lot of training. I think you're still training with Dana too. Yeah. Like how did you make fitness your career? So it, I've always, I've always been into fitness and, and I first came into it when I was right around the time I started skateboarding. So like 13 ish, 14 ish, somewhere in there. Um, but I found the weight room and remember I told you, I was like a really skinny undersized kid and, uh, grew up really lacking confidence. And when I found the weight room, I realized that like, I can be strong, I can be fast, I can be confident. So the weight room initially gave me confidence and as I started getting into like my, my 17, 18, 19 years, um, fitness kind of took over for me. You know, it was always like that, that foundational piece. I was always, if I had nothing else going, I was working out. If I was in between jobs, I was in the gym. So it was always like that, like foundational thing. And I remember when I was, uh, I was already in Montana. I had moved to Montana and I went into a gym when I was 19 and I, uh, I asked the, the person at the desk, I was like, hey, can I get a job here as a trainer, as a personal trainer? And they're like, okay, sure. Um, who are you certified with? And I'm like, certified? What do you mean Wait, certified? <laughs> oh, like, you can't just do it? Yeah. Well, well they were like, yeah, you have, to, you have to have a certification. So I'm like, okay, uh, thanks. So I go back to early days of the internet. This is 2000, uh, 2005, somewhere in there. Yeah, 2005. And I find a place called the National Personal Training Institute. And it's a place in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's a six month program. You go there, you go to school, you leave with a personal training certificate. Cool. I'm, I'm in, uh, I moved to Colorado two weeks later. Awesome. So, so I, I love <laughs> I'm out <that>. the door. <laughs> so I'm love in Colorado it. now and it takes me nine months to create, to finish the six month program. But I got it but done. You got it done. But I like I that. I, I also had to like, fund my whole way down there. So yeah. 
I had, I had uh, three different jobs while I was trying to go to school. So it took a little bit longer for me to finish it than I would have liked. But immediately came back to Montana and started my personal training career in March of 2006. Yeah, March 2006. And I started there. And I worked at a small gym. I tried to get that going for a few years. And then what ended up happening two years later was the recession of 2008. Yep. Um, everything tanked, at least for me. My business went under, and so I reverted back to what I know that I could do, which was construction. And I worked from construction from 2008 to 2013. When everything happened with Coach C, I came out the other end of that, January of 2014, and I went all in on personal training again. I got over my bullshit. I got over my excuses. I had that gnarly call to action to regain control of my life and myself, and so from 2014 in January to, to right now, I've been going all in on this. I love it. And so Amazing. I've been training, I've been coaching. Um, I started working in a gym, like, you know, weird, crazy hours all day long. Nobody knew who I was. So I would sit at the front desk of a local gym just so that people could start seeing my face yep. while I was working on my laptop. And what grew to like no clients and nobody know, knowing who I am to kind of like what I'm doing now, which is primarily online coaching, a little bit of in-person with, you know, Rob and Dana and, and a couple of the people that come to town. Mm -hmm. um, it has been such an incredible ride since. And it's so, so different, the training and the business side of it now than when I first started yeah, too. Um, primarily... I, I've recently just got on Instagram, like just a couple of years ago. I haven't been doing Instagram for a long time, but I was doing Facebook before and coaching through Facebook is so much different. Yeah. So learning the ropes of Instagram and, and being out there and doing it that way has been such a cool experience. Yeah. It's so different. It's so fun. And uh, yeah, it's just been like this ever evolving thing. And you're able like. to connect with people like, yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. What I used to, there's like I have it. a bittersweet relationship with social media. Sure. Oh my God. <laughs> I, sure. A lot of people would not find this easy to believe, but like I'm a total introvert oh, until wow. a conversation with fitness is going to come up or something weird and outdoorsy. Right. But like in new big groups of people, if I'm not working, yeah. I have to like give myself a pep talk to like be on, mm -hmm. you know, because all I want to do is just like sit and watch. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it is a pretty interesting thing to see online how many people you can reach through one device which is so crazy and the power of influence is scary yeah it really is but it can also do really good things if it's put in the right hands well and i bet too for you like when we were at glacier park yesterday and you had the those people come up to you and say like oh i follow you i do your workouts <laughs> like that doesn't that feel so good to know that you're touching people that you yeah it really does yeah. Absolutely. It's wild. And, and it's actually like overwhelming for me sometimes because I'm such an em emotional person. Like uh, when we do the expos and stuff and people are standing in line and they've driven four hours and you get there and they just can't even control themselves. They're crying. It's like, holy shit, man. I had no idea, no idea. how much power of influence this has given, put on this person. Yeah. Uh, almost like a responsibility, right? Absolutely. Um, which it does is. come at a, a bit of a weird place sometimes if I'm not in the right state of mind yeah. my biggest fear is being an imposter sure. and like not being able to practice what I preach and those are the times that I usually go away mm -hmm. until I can find myself in a good state of mind again but it is an amazing thing it really is and and what it's done for our life is insane uh, just to think you know the opportunity is in your palm you just yeah. have to take it yeah. but we talk about business tell me about where and what and how anyone can find you 
So I, I'm mostly active on Instagram now at Rasta runner. Uh, there's a little underscore at the end, but I'm sure you could just find it by typing in Rasta runner. We'll plug everything in the show. Yeah. Notes yeah. Too. So I also do a podcast. It's called high performance health. And I talk everything cool. about like life and my stories and the random stuff I've been involved in to health and mindset and, and all of that different stuff. So high performance health is the podcast, but yeah, I'm on Instagram. Send me a message. You know, I respond to everything. Um, Sometimes I get caught up with uh, like the message requests, but every every so often I try to get mm-hmm. all got, try to get through all of those. But send me a message, you know. And if something landed with you on our conversation today, I'd, I'd love to hear it. I love that. Well, yeah. thank you so oh, much man. for sharing, and yeah. uh, that was a really cool conversation, man. I love it. I kind of forgot awesome, that man. we were filming for a second. I'm like, shit, we've been going for two hours. Whoops. <laughs> I are like, we okay? I like podcasts because yeah. I, I feel like you are you're able to basically compress. Yeah. Uh, we would have had to meet at least five, six, seven times yeah. to get as much. Yeah. That's true. It would be maybe close. weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like we got really close with people yeah. because it's a, it's a big, like, Let's bomb. condense it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bomb of relationship that we explode in, like, an hour and a half instead yeah. of, oh, man, I kind of know him, but not really. We're still, you know, getting to know each other. Yeah, this was, is awesome, man. I appreciate cool. it. Thanks for making the time, man. Absolutely. And, and if I could just acknowledge you two for a second, it's, it's been a really cool experience getting to know you in such a short amount of time. And um, I think that, that I told you or, or Paula, but I just feel like we're kindred spirits in a lot of ways, just a lot of similarities. And, and I know that you have had an impact on a lot of people's lives. And one life that I, I didn't mention until now was my daughter. Um, showing your photos to my daughter the other night who struggles with being a muscular girl, seeing photos of you um, has kind of like eased her mind a little bit that it's oh, okay man. to have muscle. It's That's okay amazing. to be strong and feminine at the same time. So thank you for oh, being able to, to channel some of that into her because I think that it made a difference showing her your pictures yesterday. That's, That's amazing. amazing. I hope I get to meet her before we leave. She's awesome. You love her. Oh, I love oh, that. Well, thank you. That's so big. We have yeah, time yeah. for that. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Cool. I appreciate you. Thanks so much, yeah. Dan. Yeah. All right, guys. Tune in. Listen up. See you next time. <laughs> wow. That was a cool conversation. That man. was awesome, that dude. Was.